0: And welcome to Buffy and the Heart of Story Season 3. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of Writing as a Second Career.com. Today we are talking about season three, episode eight. Lover's Walk. In particular, I'll cover how we have major plot turns in some unusual places in the episode, protagonist questions for the plot and subplots, using a side character's journey, Spike's, to force change in the lives of our main characters, and whether Spike might be the most emotionally healthy character in this episode. As always, there will be no spoilers, except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Lover's Walk aired on November 24th, 1998 for the first time. It was written by Dan Weber and directed by David Semmel. We start with an opening conflict for the second time this season revolving around the SATs. Remember, the opening conflict sometimes relates to the main plot, but it can be any sort of conflict that draws the reader or viewer into the story and the world of the show or novel. Here, outside the school, Willow and Xander are talking. Willow is distraught. She thought she would score higher on the SAT. Xander points out that her 740 on the verbal section strongly resembles his overall score for the whole exam, but she is not comforted. She sits down on a bench. He sits next to her and tells her she did amazing, and he strokes her hair, but he leaps up when Cordelia and Oz join them. And he explains that he was comforting Willow, who was very sad. Both Xander's actions and his words and his rushed delivery of them tell us how he is feeling, the growing closeness between him and Willow, and that he does not want anyone else to know. Cordelia and Oz don't notice anything. Cordelia is very happy with her scores. And Xander jokes... He's worried that word will get out that he's dating a brain. Cordelia says, please, I have some experience in covering these things up. Definitely something that was true when I was in high school. I hope that it is no longer the case that girls feel they have to pretend to not be smart. Oz looks at Willow's scores and says, I can see why you'd be upset. That was my sarcastic voice. Xander points out, it sounds a lot like your regular voice. And Oz deadpans, I've been told that. Xander says they should celebrate, they should all go out together. Ignoring Cordelia, shaking her head and mouthing the word no at him. Buffy joins them and she too looks distraught. They're ready to comfort her. Xander assumes she also didn't do well. She scored 1430. They all think it's amazing and Oz tells her she can apply anywhere. I like this aspect of Buffy's character because it fits with what we've built in the show so far. Buffy's vocabulary, her references, remember in Band Candy, she talked about going all Willy Loman. All of these suggest that she is smart, that she does do the reading when she can for school. And we had Dr. Gregory in Teacher's Pet encourage Buffy and tell her she had a good mind of course he got killed afterwards but it meant a lot to Buffy and now we see that she also did well on this exam it sets up a great dilemma for her because now with these test scores she has so many options that she didn't have before And she tells her friends she never thought about a future. She didn't really think that she would have one, which fits also with what we saw in What's My Line, parts one and two, where everyone's going to career fair and Buffy feels angry and left out because being the slayer has determined so much of her life for her. Cordelia says how great this is. Buffy can get out of Sunnydale and never come back. And when they all stare at her, she says, that's a good thing. What kind of moron would come back here? We're at two minutes, six seconds in, and we cut to a blacked out car driving over the Welcome to Sunnydale sign. Spike, drunk, screeches to a halt, gets out of the car, says home sweet home, and passes out in the street. And we go to credits we now are getting to our story spark or inciting incident. That usually comes about 10% through any story and it gets the main plot rolling. So we could see Spike getting to Sunnydale driving over that sign as the inciting incident because in a lot of ways Spike does set the plot in motion here but right now he doesn't have any plan and i think we see that he has come back to town he's miserable over drusilla breaking up with him but he doesn't seem to have a particular goal in mind at 3 minutes, 27 seconds, he goes to that factory that got burnt out when Giles shot flaming arrows at Angel. It's where he and Silla lived for a long time and were happy. Very drunk, Spike sings Parts of My Way, Frank Sinatra's version. And I learned, I'm researching this, that it was written by Paul Anka, which i did not know before and he calls out Drusilla I'm home and talks to himself and talks to one of her dolls saying why did you leave me then he vamps out and throws the doll on the ground and I I think he grabs a shovel or something and he's beating on it and saying you stupid worthless bitch so we see him veering between crying and violence having a character talk to herself or himself I feel like it works best in a movie or television show or even a play where we cannot otherwise access the character's thoughts. In novels and short stories, it feels a little more distracting and a little more artificial because at least if we're in a third-person point of view as the author, you can go into the character's thoughts and just tell us what they are. Even in a story or novel though, I could see it working with Spike because he is such a dramatic character Spike in some ways is always performing and I could see him doing this that this would be how Spike would process his feelings so it is believable here and it does give us a little bit of the backstory of what's going on why he has come back why he is so drunk and unhappy Side note, can vampires really get drunk? I don't know how blood alcohol works with them, but it's wonderful seeing Spike like this, so I am willing to go with it. At 4 minutes 44 seconds in, we are back at the high school, so this is right about the 10% mark, because our episodes are typically 43 or 44 minutes long. Cordelia is at her locker with Xander. She agrees to go bowling after a little bit of argument about it. I see this as the story spark because this impending double date is what prompts Willow to do a spell or choose to do a spell, which brings her into Spike's path. Xander sees photos of himself and Cordelia together in her locker and says he never knew he was locker material. She tells him just barely and then says, besides, I look really cute in those photos. Oz is at Willow's locker with her, a nice moment of parallel storytelling And he has a present for her, a little Pez witch. She's so excited about it. And she says they have to get a little Pez werewolf to go with. But Oz tells her they don't make them. And Willow seems sad. And she says, I don't have anything for you and he says yes you do and I think all of this conveys how much Willow means to Oz and how much he appreciates her which given her attraction to Xander and kissing Xander makes her feel bad and after Oz walks away she looks down at that Pez witch and we can see all of it in her face So in another way, this could be the story spark because I think that it is Oz giving her this gift and Willow feeling so guilty and so conflicted that puts her over the edge to where she is going to resort to witchcraft in the library there are suitcases all over the table Giles tells Buffy her scores are remarkable he is going off to a retreat for a few days and Buffy teases him about his method of packing which she says is like hers and she says you're not going to settle there and grow crops or anything He comments that her mom must be thrilled about her scores. And Buffy says, yeah, she saw those scores and her head spun around and exploded. He points out that he's been on the Hellmouth too long. That was metaphorical, right? And she reassures him. She is then surprised when Giles says that Joyce might be right. That Buffy should think about going away to college. That she could have a first-rate education. And Buffy pushes back a little and he says, well, with Faith here, maybe Buffy can move on for a time. This is our only mention of Faith in the episode. And I find it interesting that she's mentioned in this way that suggests that Giles almost sees her there as a convenience for buffy to make buffy's life easier i i don't believe that giles as a character that that's how we have built him But maybe it is more the show almost treating Faith that way. Now, we have seen that Faith loves slang. And she has been clear that she did not like school. I don't have any sense that Faith as a character would want to specifically have this opportunity that Buffy may have. But it does seem dismissive of Faith as a person. And I do think that this general attitude and this focus on Buffy does drive some of what will happen in the season. I will leave it there because we are not in the spoiler section yet. When Giles says this about Buffy being able to go away to school, she says, wow, and not in a good way. She's not very excited. So this is one of the subplots here, and I think of it either as the Buffy College subplot or the Buffy Angel subplot. It is about Buffy moving on one way or another from Angel or from Sunnydale or from high school, all of that combined giles now raises the topic of angel by telling her please don't do anything rash while he's gone and he asks if she's planning on seeing angel she tells him yes but they're friends that's all either of them wants and says nothing's gonna happen this scene accomplished so much through conflict, we got exposition, we move the story, we know Giles is going away for a few days, we get the reminder that we're on a hellmouth, he points out the dangers of seeing Angel, we see Buffy's discomfort with the idea of going away and what will be a theme in the episode or a key part of that subplot the idea that Buffy and Angel are just friends. This also is a nice example of when you have an ensemble cast of characters sometimes you need to get one of them or more of them out of the way. You can't use all the characters all the time even though the audience might love them and here Giles is removed so that our other characters are left on their own Buffy's line nothing's gonna happen provides a nice segue to the next scene which comes about eight and a half minutes in and Willow says something's gonna happen she and Xander are walking together outside the school she is very worried about this double date and that Cordy and Oz will know that something is off. And she goes on about bowling being all sexy, including the shoes. And Xander says, you're turned on by rented shoes? It's funny, and it underscores how intense their attraction is that Willow is seeing going bowling as this very sexy situation. And Xander says, well, what are Cordelia and Oz going to know? He and Willow are just good friends who have maybe kissed once or twice. And now they almost kiss again, and Willow shakes that Pez dispenser witch in his face. And Xander says, I wish I wasn't so attracted to you. I wish we could make it all stop. And Willow says, Any suggestions? This is another segue as we cut to Joyce, who is suggesting different universities to Buffy. And Buffy says... Can we talk about it another time? All day, it's been like, congratulations, go away. Joyce tells her she talked to Giles. She knows Buffy has her slaying responsibilities, but it can be worked out. Buffy says it's complicated, but Joyce tells her she needs to think about her future and asks, honestly, is there anything keeping you here? We then cut to Angel reading by the fire The answer to Joyce's question, and I like this segue particularly because we don't see Buffy with Angel. He is sitting there alone. But that almost stresses more how important he is to Buffy's feelings about going away. This also is a great example of how fantasy and speculative fiction works using metaphor. Viewers and readers can identify with this situation. No, they have never been in love with a vampire who could lose his soul if they have sex. But most people have gone through that feeling of moving on and particularly to college. How many people hesitate to go away to school or have fears about it because their boyfriend or girlfriend? is not going with them because it will probably mean the end of the relationship. And here we are dealing with that in this almost epic way. We switch to Spike who is peering through the windows of the mansion at Angel. Again, sort of speaking to himself, he is ranting at Angel saying, yeah, you, you think I'm afraid of you. And he goes on about how Angel brainwashed Drew and it's all Angel's fault. And he says, you're going down. And then stumbles, falls, and passes out in the courtyard. The next scene, the sun has risen and Spike is mostly in shadow but it reaches his hand which bursts into flames. Spike screams, Um, he runs his hand under water and it seems like maybe it's holy water because his hand starts smoking even more. He runs into his car, his blacked out car, drinks some alcohol and then pours it over his hand and screams. One question I do have here is, uh, why does an angel hear Spike ranting out in the courtyard? at night and then again in the morning uh, i don't I, hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler in angel maybe not in buffy but in angel war will learn that vampires have this particularly acute sense of hearing and so i don't know maybe angel was reading with earplugs in we are now reaching our one-quarter twist that typically comes one-quarter to a third through an episode or story, and it should come from outside the protagonist, a force that spins the story in a new direction. It often also raises the stakes, and it definitely does that here. Spike is at the magic shop. He's looking for ingredients and in a spell book. He tells the proprietor he wants to curse someone, and we know he wants to curse Angel, give him boils all over his face, uh, maybe leprosy. Proprietor is this young woman in this kind of flowy dress, very positive energy type. And when Spike is ranting about curses, she says, I'm hearing lots of negative energy. And then she finally tells him, we don't carry leprosy. Willow walks in, and the proprietor turns away, and Spike steps out of sight so Willow doesn't see him. Willow shows the magic store owner her list. The woman thinks Willow's getting ingredients for a love spell and says sure want that old lover to come back but Willow says no no she knows how to do a love spell but this is a little different a delusting." lusting Spike overhears this and this was such a nice back and forth with the magic store owner with a little bit of conflict built in so that it was very natural that willow said oh i know how to do a love spell but that's not what i'm doing because that when the owner told her she needed to be careful with that after willow leaves the proprietor becomes the second dad magic shop owner because spike just got a better idea he doesn't need a spell book now and he kills the owner so this is the major turn in the story because now what will drive it is Spike wanting Willow to do this spell and bring Drusilla back to him. Now we get a scene with the mayor. He's hitting golf balls in his office. He says he would sell his soul for a decent short game, but it's a little late for that. And he glances at his deputy mayor, Allen, and says, oh, maybe I can sell your soul. Poor Alan looks very worried. And the mayor says he's just kidding. And then says, so we have a spike problem. And Alan says, yes, that spike killed someone in broad daylight. The mayor laughs about all the shenanigans Spike got up to last year, but they can't have that this year. It's a very important year. He doesn't want Spike mucking things up. Um, He's a loose cannon, and he'll rock the boat. And then he meditates on whether a loose cannon rocking the boat is a mixed metaphor, which is kind of fun in a show that includes so many metaphors. They agree that Alan will send a committee to deal with Spike. This seems like a throwaway scene, but it does set up why a group of vampires later will get in the way and confront Spike and will be key to how the story resolves. When I first saw this episode, I think that this scene, I'm not even sure I really connected it with the vampires who show up later. It felt almost like filler. It felt like it slowed the story. And this is a great example of why season three in so many ways works much better when you see it as part of a larger story these little scenes we get in different episodes about the mayor connect and build their own story and become really important but the first time through it's not that clear and what's so wonderful to me when you see it as a whole is yes they are all there for a reason almost nothing is just a throwaway. We switch to Buffy, she's telling Angel about college, she has no idea where she wants to go and she tells him how excited her mom is and she had a hard time coming up with an alibi for coming to see him and Buffy explains that Joyce is having enough trouble processing Buffy being the slayer and she's not ready to deal with and Buffy says that you and I are Friends again. This is another line that seems a bit like a throwaway, but will be key to a plot development later that Joyce doesn't know about Angel. Buffy goes on to say her mom has a point about Buffy's future, going to college, getting out of Sunnydale, but there are reasons to stay too and Angel says, what are they? Buffy looks very taken aback that he would ask that, but she asks him what he thinks she should do after naming her slaying. He tells her as a friend he thinks she should leave. It's a good opportunity. Buffy starts packing up her backpack and says, yeah, it's not like there's any great thing keeping me here. Thanks for the advice. It's another perspective to consider, and she puts her backpack on. Angel says she just got here, but she tells him her mom worries a lot more these days. These actions, the delivery of the words, all of this tells us how hurt Buffy feels by Angel seeming to not understand that he is part of why she wants to stay and then Angel is hurt by her leaving so this is two characters not saying how they really feel dancing around what they mean to each other and then feeling hurt that the other one seems to reject them. Good tension on one level. I'm not sure I buy this from these characters. Given how much they've been through together, part of me thinks that they would not be hiding things from each other. On the other hand, Buffy at least is hiding from herself how she feels, and Angel maybe is trying to do the right thing, trying to be supportive and not hold her back. It also sets up the theme of the episode. If Angel and Buffy just talked about their issues, we wouldn't have much of a story, at least not the one we get here where there's this arc of realization for Buffy. I do think that's another reason that the episode falters a little bit for me. I love it in the context Of the series and season as a whole because this too is another step in the Buffy-Angel relationship. It really works in the big picture of their arc. But in this episode, it feels a little artificial to me that they don't talk. We now go to our other couple who is in secret at the science lab. Xander meets Willow there. She has told him she needs help with chemistry and he is a little suspicious first he points out that it smells like church evil church inside she tells him it'll help him on the exam because he's struggling and he says but that's why you love me right academically dangerous He is also worried this will make them late for their bowling double date, but she tells him there's time and that Cordelia and Oz are meeting them here at the lab. Xander notices the spell book. She claims no, 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 it's not about spells, but he recognizes the ingredients and says this is love spell stuff. Doesn't she remember how terribly that turned out? So we get a callback to last season's bewitched bothered and bewildered when Xander tried the love spell on Cordelia. Willow tells him, of course, that's not what she's doing. It's delusting, And she thought it would go better if he didn't know what it was. When he protests, she responds, but you said you wished these feelings would just go away. And she tells him she can't do this anymore. Xander goes to turn on the lights. Spike enters the room, grabs Xander. Xander tries to fight, and so does Willow. Spike knocks Xander out. We switch to the factory. And before that, we'll take a quick break. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you are enjoying it, please help other listeners find it by posting it on your social media or retweeting it or by telling a friend about the show. If you would like to further support the show and hear more of my thoughts about story and writing, you can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month and get access to bonus content. Or you can check out my new audiobook, The One-Year Novelist, a week-by-week guide to writing your novel in one year. It is now available on Audible or through Amazon website and at multiple other vendors. I will put a link in the show notes. Spike is demanding that Willow do a love spell for him. He veers between being distraught, drinking, and crying to threatening Willow. He wants her to make Drew love him again and make Drusilla crawl not that different from what xander wanted with cordelia though spike does want drew to love him and then uh, willow is nervous she's saying you know i'm not a real witch and i'll try and he breaks a bottle and grabs her and holds this broken glass up to her face and threatens her and she says yes yes she'll do it then he becomes sad again says drusilla wouldn't even kill him she just left Didn't care enough to cut his head off or set him on fire or anything. Just some little sign that she cared. He also tells Willow the truce with Buffy did it. Drusilla said he went soft. He was not demon enough. And Spike says, I told her it didn't mean anything. I was thinking of her the whole time. Which does actually fit his actions and everything he said at the time. He couldn't stand to see Drusilla with Angel. He wanted to end that. He also tells Willow he caught Drusilla making out with a chaos demon and has she ever seen one? They're all slime and antlers. Disgusting. And the worst part was she said they could still be friends. He's so unhappy. And Willow actually tries to comfort him. We're now reaching the midpoint of the episode. Usually here we see a major commitment by the protagonist to the quest or a major reversal of fortune. So this raises the question, who is our protagonist in this episode? I think that for the main plot, which is about this love spell and Spike kidnapping Willow, so, it is Willow. We are mainly in her point of view, though it is mixed, but for that part of the story, Xander's passed out for most of it. We are mostly feeling for Willow. She has the most at stake in terms of Spike is threatening to cut her face, to kill her, to kill Xander. Um, Xander obviously has a little stake in that too, but clearly they would both end up dead, and she is the one whose shoulders all of this rests on. And And finally, she is the one pursuing an active goal. Throughout the episode, she is trying to deal with her feelings for Xander and end that conflict through magic. Buffy, I think, is the protagonist of the subplot between her and Angel and the college issue. All of it's her point of view. She is the most at stake with her happiness and her future. Yes, Angels is there as well, but he's going to live forever, so I feel like those stakes are are higher for Buffy who has a limited time in her life while she is more reacting in the beginning she is pursuing the goal of trying to figure out what to do she gets these scores that open up these new possibilities for her and she is trying to deal with that But part of why I struggled a bit with this episode on the first watch is in that subplot, Buffy is not all that active. It almost just sort of happens to her, which is why I think it works better seen as part of the season-long Buffy-Angel arc. As Willow is comforting Spike, he starts sniffing her neck and starts talking about not having had a woman in weeks. And now Willow makes a commitment and she says, hold on, I'll do your spell for you and I'll get you Drusilla back but there will be no bottle in face and no having of any kind with me. Which is such a strong statement. Willow recognizes that she has got to push back against Spike if she's going to survive and also that she does have some power here. Yeah he can kill her but if he does he won't get his spell. Then We see her fear and we see her discomfort with the idea of all this power because she says, all right. But he says, all right. And she tells him she doesn't know if it'll work right away. Now Spike reverts to form and says, well, if it doesn't, he'll just kill Xander and she can try again. Nonetheless, she tells him she needs other supplies and her spell book. And she left that somewhere. He asks, where? And I wonder if Willow is being really smart here by telling him it's at Buffy's, which is where he goes next. Is she purposely trying to let Buffy know what's happening? I don't know if that is ever really answered. We're at 22 minutes, 54 seconds in. Buffy is in the library jumping rope. Oz and Cordelia rush in, worried because Willow and Xander are gone. They show Buffy the science lab and they all see the evidence of the fight Buffy tells them to go find Giles he's at a retreat in a clearing in Breakers Woods about 45 minutes away and Oz says he knows where that is they'll drive there so this is another purpose for sending Giles away so that we can send Cordelia and Oz off on their own quest while Buffy deals with Spike Joyce calls Buffy on the library phone and she is hoping to schedule a college talk later. Buffy hears Spike in the background say hello Joyce and we cut to a commercial as Buffy runs. In the kitchen, Spike is telling Joyce his sad tale of woe about the chaos demon and Drusilla leaving him He is genuinely upset and Joyce pours some hot water into a mug for him making hot chocolate and she tries to empathize with him and tell him people's lives take different paths like with her and Buffy's dad and Spike says no she doesn't understand their love was literally eternal and then he asks if she's got any of those little marshmallows she tells him she'll go look and steps away to check the cabinet so a little more development of Spike and Joyce and Joyce really listening to Spike and offering him emotional support And she has no reason to think Spike is a danger at this point because the last she knew, Spike was helping Buffy. Angel is heading for Buffy's house. Through the back window, he sees Spike and Joyce together. He tries to storm in, shouting, but he can't because his invitation was blocked last year. So he has to stop at the doorframe. Joyce is understandably very frightened all she knows is how dangerous Angel is this is another instance where the show deals with the peril of keeping secrets because had Buffy explained everything to Joyce Joyce would not be in as much danger. Spike is standing behind Joyce, and as Joyce is threatening to stake Angel herself and yelling at him, Spike is mocking Angel, and he's making little fang faces behind Joyce and saying, you're not invited to Angel. And he also says, you're a very bad man. Buffy comes in. She invites Angel in. She pins Spike on the table, Joyce is very confused, and Spike says, You do me now, you'll never find the little witch. Joyce says, Willow's a witch? They comment on how he has Willow, and Spike says, and Xander. And Joyce says, Xander's a witch? Spike also taunts Angel and says, When did you become all-soul-having again? I thought you outgrew that. He refuses to tell them where Willow and Xander are but he does concede that Buffy and Angel can tag along while he gets his ingredients and once the spell is done he'll tell them where their friends are. And Buffy says you're not famous for keeping your promises Spike. So it turns out I was wrong. At the end of Becoming Parts 1 and 2 I thought that Spike essentially had kept his promise. He helped Buffy um, take out a bunch of the vampires. He immobilized Drusilla. Xander was able to get Giles out. And although Spike left during that last fight between Buffy and Angel, I thought that perhaps Buffy felt, um, to the extent she thought about it at all, felt that he had pretty much kept up his end of the deal. Despite that he said he was talking about putting Angel in the bloody ground. Apparently, though, she does not feel that way uh, because she points that out, that why should she trust him? We switch to Oz driving the van with Cordelia, who is panicking. But he stops the van and sniffs the air and says, Willow is nearby. She is afraid. He can smell her. And Cordelia says, is this some kind of residual werewolf thing? So I love that this must be why we mentioned in the beginning the pez werewolf a little reminder that oz is a werewolf so that to me is so amazing that even this short exchange we could have had the pez witch without the werewolf comment But it added to the closeness between Willow and Oz, to Willow's sort of distress that she has nothing to give Oz. And now we get this, oh, right, Oz is a werewolf. And this is how he can find Willow. Oz turns the van. We go back to Spike, Angel, and Buffy. They're walking through Sunnydale. He is lamenting everything with Drusilla. He's so sad. He wants to die. Buffy is quite ready to help him with that. But Angel stops her saying they need Spike. And Buffy scoffs, need him? He's probably just got them locked up in the factory. Spike says, no, he does not. And then he reminisces about a bench they pass, how he and Drusilla killed a homeless man there, and goes on and on. At the magic shop, they start getting the supplies. Buffy tells Spike to get the rat's eyes, and he goes on about how he used to bring Drusilla rats for breakfast. Angel, sort of mumbling to himself but loud enough for Spike to hear, says, It's a lot of trouble for someone who doesn't even care about you. She really is just kind of fickle. A nice comment on Drusilla because, yes, she really was just kind of fickle. And Spike says it's their fault. It was because he helped them that he lost her. And he says, I'm nothing without her. Buffy tells him he's pathetic. And Spike says, you're one to talk. And points out that the last time he saw them, they were fighting to the death. And it makes him want to heave. When they try to say they're friends, he gives this little speech where he says, You're not friends. You'll never be friends. You'll be in love till it kills you both. You'll fight and you'll shag and you'll hate each other till it makes you quiver, but you'll never be friends. I may be love's bitch, but at least I'm man enough to admit it. So these are more clear callbacks to previous episodes with Buffy and Angel fighting. It is a great way both to express the conflict and to tell current viewers enough about the past that if they didn't watch the previous seasons, they might go back and watch them. It's also a more subtle callback to this season, Beauty and the Beasts. When Platt told Buffy that if you can't get past it, love becomes your master and you are just its dog. There is also a lot of foreshadowing here, so stay tuned for the spoiler section. We cut to the factory. Willow is has gone up the stairs and is trying to bang the door open without success xander wakes up he's lying on the bed downstairs and she sits with him he's really dizzy and feels sick she tells him what happened with spike reassures him that he was real brave in trying to fight and tells him yes they are in the factory a burnt out place in the middle of nowhere and xander says we're pretty much in a scream all you want scenario and he says what are their options Willow says well I figure either I refuse to do the spell and he kills us or I do the spell and he kills us and she goes on that there's a third option he's so drunk he forgets about them and they starve to death. Xander says Spike'll get sloppy if he's that drunk and Xander will make his move but when he tries he can't even stand and he falls on the bed again they're nearly kissing and she says we're not supposed to and he says exemption for impending death situation we're now right about three quarters through the episode here we usually see the last major plot turn it should grow out of the midpoint but yet take the story in another new direction and here our midpoint we had willow both suffering that major reversal Spike threatening her into doing the love spell and making that commitment to stand up to Spike. So this does come from that situation at the midpoint. And if you see the turn as Willow and Xander almost kissing, Uh, I guess that it is organic but what really turns the story is Oz and Cordelia getting to the warehouse. It's about 32 and a half minutes in and they come in and see Willow and Xander on the bed kissing. In a way I guess that does come out of that reversal because Spike took Willow and Xander and that is why Oz and Cordelia could find them. But as with another couple of events here, some of these things feel not random, but like the writer's just throwing a monkey wrench in. So they they have come in, apparently making no noise whatsoever because we didn't hear anything. So I guess that door just opened. Willow couldn't open it from inside. It must have been locked, but it opened pretty easily from outside. Cordelia says, oh God. And Xander says, oh God, and Willow says, oh God, Oz. But Oz says, we have to get out of here. Such a great example of characterization because Oz is the only one who stays focused on the danger. I mean, of course he must feel this and and we'll see later that he does, but he is able to focus on what they need to do right now, which is get out of there. Cordelia runs up the stairs and remember this is the burnt out factory those stairs collapse and she plunges down the others follow and look down at her and she is lying on her back impaled by rebar that has gone through her side very dramatic but also that that moment really feels like this almost random event though it is set up by the setting of the factory We're at 33 minutes in and we get a turn in Buffy's story as well. A group of vampires surround them as they're leaving the shop with the supplies. Spike knows one of the vampires, Lenny, who used to work for him. Lenny tells Buffy and Angel that they can just walk away. Uh, His group needs to deal with Spike. But after Spike points out that if they do, her friends will die, Buffy says, sorry, they have to stay. There is a big fight. Buffy, Angel, and Spike are a bit overpowered. So they run back into the magic shop, try to barricade themselves in. In the course of the fight, the vampires burst in and the door falls on Angel who had his back to it and they walk over him. Normally, I don't think this would stop Angel, but we see later that he is still weak from everything that has happened to him. We are now approaching the climax. I have a little trouble sorting out the climax here. Normally, that is where our opposing forces our protagonist and antagonist have their final clash. They come up against each other and they resolve the conflict one way or another. This feels like a climax because it's a big fight scene, but it's a little odd because Willow, if she is our protagonist in the main plot, she isn't here, and she has already, at least probably, been rescued. I mean, she, she personally is not in any danger anymore because we know Spike is busy here. We're not worried about Willow being in physical danger anymore. In what was mainly a story about Willow, we now have a big climax in the Buffy angel Spike scene. Lenny, during the fight, accuses Spike of going soft, and this really energizes Spike. Angel gets out from under the door, but he's not up to full strength fighting, so they grab the holy water, Buffy and Angel, and throw it at the vampires. Buffy and Spike also coordinate their fighting, and ultimately, they defeat all the vampires. We're at 37 minutes 30 seconds in, right about where Climax is usually finish although sometimes a little later so we should be in the falling action which is tying up the loose ends of the plot and we do have some of that with buffy angel and spike spike says now that was fun and buffy uh, looks skeptical and he taunts her and doesn't believe her when she says it wasn't fun buffy helps angel who is staggering a bit her arms are around him and spike says oh yeah you two just friends no danger there They are ready to go do the spell, but Spike doesn't care about it anymore and says, yeah, your friends are at the factory. And he tells them he has been going about this all wrong, weeping and crying and blaming everybody else. He just has to be the man Drew fell in love with. So he'll find her, tie her up, torture her until she likes him again. And he says, love's a funny thing. So there also has been this subplot for Spike, and maybe it is the one that the plot turns and points make the most sense for. Um, He is definitely the protagonist of his story about resolving his grief and anger over Drusilla leaving him, because he is definitely the point of view character there. In that story, he has the most at stake emotionally, and he even has an active goal throughout if we see it as him not trying to get Drusilla back but trying to find himself again who is he without her because he does later say I'm nothing without her so from when he comes into town this is his goal to somehow figure out what to do about Drusilla and interestingly Spike deals with his feelings He goes through grief, he is sad, he's asking what's happening, he's angry. He's angry at her, he's angry at Buffy, an angel, he's angry at everybody, he's reminiscing, he's nostalgic. And then he finds himself again, he finds who he is through his actions and comes to this point where he realizes he stopped being who he was, stop being true to himself. Now, whether that is why Drusilla left him or not, we don't know, but that is what Spike believes it is. And this gives him strength both to get out of that grief and anger and to take a step to make a choice about what to do. In contrast, Willow doesn't try to go through her feelings she tries to short circuit them with a spell to just not deal with it and she says she just can't deal with these feelings anymore so at 40 minutes in xander is next to cordelia under the those broken stairs and he's saying please hold on cordelia says his name and tells him she can't see him her head turns to the side it looks like she has died This could be the climax of this subplot between Xander and Willow, Xander and Willow's relationship and the fallout of it. Or it could be seen as falling action if we see the climax as Cordelia and Oz finding Willow and Xander. The next scene is definitely falling action and it's a little bit of, well, it is a big fake out to the audience because we switch to the cemetery and we see a funeral going on and it's a little bit from the distance so the mourners are in their formal clothes and we can't tell who they are. We hear the minister or whoever is running it saying prayers and then we pan back and see Buffy and Willow are just walking in the cemetery past this funeral and I am pretty sure this did fake me out the first time around because I mean after all we have had really major characters killed. And I, I guess this is legitimate to some extent because a lot of our scenes do take place in cemeteries. So it's not as if you were in a regular show and they suddenly showed you a funeral and your characters just happen to be walking and talking in the cemetery. Our characters do that quite a bit, although usually at night. Anyway, Buffy says, so Cordelia is going to be okay, and we learn that she lost a lot of blood, but none of her vital organs were punctured, and she couldn't have visitors until today. Buffy asks how Willow is doing and Willow says she never knew she could feel this bad and for the longest time she didn't know what she wanted. She wanted everything and now she just wants Oz to talk to her again. So we do have Willow reaching some clarity. This sort of disaster with Oz finding out Now that she is in danger of losing him, she is clear on what she wants. Buffy tells her to give it some time and be prepared for some groveling, and Willow says she is ready. She's all over groveling. So this too could be a climax for the Willow and Xander plot because Willow has finally resolved her internal conflict. We don't know what'll happen with Oz, but Willow at least knows what she wants. And Buffy says about the groveling, good, because I hear sometimes it works. And we switch to Xander bringing Cordelia this large bouquet of flowers. She is lying in a hospital bed looking at the far wall. He sits down. He says, look, Cordy. I want you to know that I and she says Xander and she turns her face to him very slowly and he says yeah and she says stay away from me and Xander leaves. I give him a tiny amount of credit for that he doesn't stay and try to change her mind He leaves her alone. We now switch to Buffy and Angel. It's a little over 41 minutes in. Angel is sitting alone at the mansion. Buffy comes to see him, but she tells him she is not coming back. He's okay now, he doesn't need her. And she says, we're not friends. We never were. And I can fool Giles and I can fool my friends, but I can't fool myself or Spike for some reason. What I want from you, I can never have. Angel doesn't want to accept that. He says there must be some way that they can still spend time together. And she says there is. Tell me that you don't love me. She walks away and leaves him sitting alone looking sad. Now we get a montage. um, Very sad music. And this montage tells us so much about how each of these characters feel and who they are. Willow is sitting on the floor of her room, her back against her bed, holding the Pez witch. Oz is in the bronze alone. It's dark, clearly closed, and he is holding his acoustic guitar, but not playing it. Xander alone is putting away books in the book cage. Cordelia is lying alone in her hospital room, just staring at the wall. And Buffy is the only one outside. She's in the park. It's sunny. People are all around her, but they're walking past in slow motion, giving us an even greater sense of her isolation. We then cut to Spike. He is singing My Way again, but this time the Sid Vicious punk rock cover is playing, and he seems victorious now. He's driving his blacked-out car, and Spike drives down the road and out of town. And that is the end of the episode so there is no dvd commentary about lovers walk i did find something interesting in the book fighting the forces what's at stake in buffy the vampire slayer edited by Rhonda v wilcox and david lavery and this goes to the question i raised in the beginning is spike healthier emotionally than buffy or angel or willow and xander for that matter he knows his feelings he owns the them he addresses them he lets himself go through them and then he makes a choice and Buffy she tries to do that at the end but she and Angel mostly have been avoiding Buffy's been hiding from herself Willow tries to do a spell to avoid her feelings but Spike he knows himself and he is perceptive about other people And he's willing to feel those feelings, or maybe he can't stop himself. So the essay is The Undemonization of Supporting Characters by Mary Alice Money. And this comes from uh, page 100 of the book. I'm not going to give you the entire quote, so there are a few things I'm leaving out here. But here's what she says about Lover's Walk, that the episode shifts the character spike not by making him a sweet, heartbroken, humanized lover, but rather by showing his vulnerability in making him a rejected drunken lover who will even descend to compromising his depravity and dealing with humans in order to regain Drew. Any self-respecting vampire is totally amoral and ruthless, as evidenced by Spike's earlier cruelties, not to mention Angelus's acts of both gratuitous and calculated viciousness. But when Spike becomes an object of ridicule and a source of amusement, he loses some of his terror. Somehow, it is difficult to maintain fear... When the fearful creature turns sweetly nostalgic and weeps over the good times, withdrew. And later she says, in a moment of epiphany, he realizes that each person, Buffy, Angel, or he himself, can achieve fulfillment only by remaining true to his, her, its own nature. Amidst the carnage of helping Buffy and Angel defeat an attacking vampire gang in the magic shop, Spike is invigorated by the violence and determines a new course of action. The old Spike is back. Ironically, the episode ends with everyone except Spike made acutely miserable by love. So this essay addresses a related issue of Spike's emotional journey, although the author looks at it more in terms of how some of our evil characters are made less demonic. Other than spoilers and foreshadowing, that is it for this episode. If you are not sticking around for the spoilers, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you will come back next week for one of my favorite episodes, The Wish, where Cordelia makes a wish that changes the world. And we are back for spoilers. There is so much foreshadowing here starting with next week's episode Cordelia's comment at the beginning of this one to Buffy good you can get out of Sunnydale and never come back cannot be accidental since in the wish next week she will wish that Buffy never came to Sunnydale lovers walk Also, sets up how devastated Cordelia will be next episode because she is having a good time in the beginning of this episode with Willow and Xander and Oz. She agrees to go bowling despite all her comments about it being the least classy thing to do. She is joking about the photos in her locker. So we know how much that he has come to mean to her, and then next week in The Wish, we'll see her old friends making fun of her and rejecting her and how alone Cordelia feels. The magic shop owner death, so there will be yet another one in season five when Giles, in going through trying to figure out what happened, sees the books and sees how profitable the magic shop is and speculates that maybe the purchase price might be somewhat lower because of the high death rate of the owners and ultimately buys the shop. So I enjoy that. I would love to know if the writers knew that was something that was coming. Willow doing the spell rather than deal with her feelings... This whole story foreshadows her arc in the series. As we go on, Willow will turn to magic more and more to avoid her feelings, to influence what other people do and feel and think. Even her saying to Xander, well, I thought it would go better if you didn't know. That is is really troubling. On first watch and even many watches after, that did not jump out at me. But when you think about it, what, what gives Willow the right to change Xander's feelings? Uh, if she wants to use the spell on herself, it's probably still not a good idea, but it's at least her choice. She is taking away Xander's choice, taking it upon herself to do this. And we will see all of this multiple times. A major one is the beginning of season six with Bargaining One and Two, where Willow doesn't deal with her feelings of grief about Buffy's death because she focuses on a spell to bring Buffy back. And when she thinks it didn't work, That's when she breaks down. That's when she realizes Buffy is gone and she feels the grief. And there, while yes, she tells Xander and Anya and Tara about the spell because she needs their help, she doesn't tell Giles, who she knows would try to stop her. She doesn't tell Spike. She doesn't tell Dawn. She is making this decision and not telling key people in Buffy's life And she doesn't tell them about any dangers associated with it. Then later in season six, she does a spell on Tara to avoid conflict, specifically conflict over doing magic. But she erases Tara's memory and then later doubles down when Tara calls her on it, finds out and calls her on it by doing yet another spell. And not only ends up messing with Tara's mind, but everybody's mind in tabula rasa And of course, there is something blue in season four where her grief over Oz, her attempts to short-circuit that process result in so many things happening, including Spike and Buffy uh, falling in love and getting engaged for that episode. So much here that moves Willow along that path. The mayor's scene, it reminds us of him that he's around, The foreshadowing comes really with Alan. How the mayor needles Alan, and he does this a lot. Oh, maybe I could sell your soul. And Alan looks so frightened. This is an interesting metaphor, I think, for that idea of leaders who believe that motivation by fear is the best way to do things. Now, the mayor isn't in that moment trying to motivate Alan by fear, but that is what he does, and he is so underestimating the effect of that and the way it backfires because we will learn that most likely alan turns on the mayor we don't know absolutely for certain i don't think but it's a pretty strong suggestion that alan decides to go against the mayor and you have to think this is part of why spike's speech where he tells angel and buffy you'll be in love till it kills you both but you'll never be friends this foreshadows the end of the season where angel leaves obviously for reasons outside the show because he's getting his own show but it is very believable he essentially leaves because he sees there isn't a future for him and buffy but also because he does pose this danger to her which becomes explicit toward the end of the season it fits with Spike's point that you'll be in love till it kills you both and then we see in the crossover an angel i will remember you when buffy and angel do get to be together but for epic reasons it cannot work and then there are more sort of petty personal reasons in another crossover in season 4 when angel comes to Sunnydale, and he kind of terrorizes Riley, and it's partly just because he is being petty. He's angry at Buffy, but he is being petty about it. And then, of course, Buffy's anger at Angel when Faith ends up being somewhat under Angel's protection briefly. The two of them, really, their feelings are so strong, it makes it really difficult for them to navigate any sort of relationship. Now later there are some hints that they they do find that that occasionally they meet Angel will come after Joyce's death to be there for Buffy. So it's nice to think that yes, there are times when they can help each other when Angel can still be a support for her. But for the most part Spike is correct. Spike taunting Buffy about how, yes, she must love the fight. She pretends she doesn't, but she does. This foreshadows a lot of Faith's point in season three, and she does echo it again later, that Buffy says she doesn't like slaying. She sees it as this burden, but that she does enjoy it, and that Buffy is denying a huge part of who she is. And it's interesting that Spike sees that about her and he also sees the truth about her an Angel. As the series goes on through such interesting twists and turns, Spike is the person that Buffy is the most honest with. When she's holding back things from her friends, sometimes because she thinks they can't deal with them, sometimes because she can't, she will be open with Spike. Uh, he is also the only one Who really sees Willow's pain when Oz leaves in Something Blue? Everyone else thinks she's dealing with it, and Spike knows she's devastated. Likewise, when Glory attacks tara and buffy is saying oh i talked willow down she's not going after glory alone at the end of season five it's spike who says right you talked her down yeah, of course she's going after glory so spike is often the one who truly sees and understands other people's emotions Finally, Spike saying Drusilla broke up with him over Buffy. Now, Spike says it's because Drusilla says he went soft. But we'll find out later when Drusilla comes back to Sunnydale in Season 5 that it wasn't only that. Maybe even Drusilla wasn't completely aware of it. But when she sees Spike and Buffy, she sees that Spike is in love with Buffy. And she says something like, I sensed it. She was all around you. So all of these examples really show how the um, Buffy as a series is evolving so that you get so much more from the show when you watch it as a whole. So that is it for spoilers and foreshadowing. Thank you again for listening and I hope you will come back next week for The Wish. It is my favorite Partly because I've always loved alternative timeline types of stories and we will see that Cordelia's wish that Buffy never came to Sunnydale, how that affects Buffy. And we also get to meet Anya. You can find back episodes at my author website, where you'll also find my fiction, at lisalily.com. That's L-I-S-A-L-I-L-L-Y. If you would like to comment on the show, you can email me, lisa at lisalilly.com or tweet me at lisa amazonmarie lilly hashtag buffy story music for this episode was composed and performed by robert newcastle buffy and the art of story is a production of spiny woman llc copyright 2020 all rights reserved